Rachel Zucker. <laughs> David Naiman. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you invited me to talk to you today as part of your coming back to commonplace. And I know a lot of people, I can, I, I don't feel like I'm just speaking for myself, really feel the presence of the absence of your show. And I wanted to start out with um, us talking, I don't know how many months ago now in the pandemic. And we were just talking at that point as two podcasters who sort of prided ourselves in in-person conversations that we weren't having a lot of technological intermediaries that we, we in my case, people were meeting in, in the radio studio, but face-to-face in the same room, and in your case, a variety of situations, but sometimes even going to the person's house or to their hotel room or to at, at a conference, um, but that we both believed in in this connection that happened by being there. And we had connected during the pandemic about questions of, well, you had questions about how is it going for me? Because I had, I had transitioned to remote and you had yet to transmit transition to remote, but you were wanting to, and how was that going? Um, and, and that's when I learned a lot of what was going on in your life, um, that you were getting divorced, that you were having issues at work, um, that you were having issues with your kids. And, um, of course, all of this during a pandemic. So this question of, and and I'd say on top of that, a lot of questions you were having then about wanting to restart Commonplace, but in a different way, like to reimagine its architecture or to, or the, the vantage point or, or the methodology, which felt somehow connected. And I don't know if it is like your life was, the entire form of your life was changing. I, I don't think you could anticipate what that was going to look like when it all settled out. And I don't think perhaps you can now either. But but at the time, it felt like these two things were in tandem. Like, my life is changing shape. Um, is it falling apart? Is it becoming something new? My show is off the rails. I want to bring it back, but I don't want it to be just the same thing. How do I come back? Um so there is a there is the coming back. People listening to this are are hearing the coming back. But um, how does this how does what does this prompt in you in terms of thoughts? Um, me sort of recapping our. You're uh, listening to the voice of David Naiman. David Naiman is the host of the fabulous literary radio show and podcast Between the Covers. He is co-author of Ursula K. Le Guin Conversations on Writing, published by Tin House Books in 2018. David's writing has been published in Tin House, Agni, Boulevard, Virginia Quarterly Review, and elsewhere. David Naiman is a brilliant reader, thinker, interviewer, and I urge anyone who hasn't listened to Between the Covers to luxuriate in the beauty of that archive and in the new episodes as they air. David, as you're about to hear, is also an incredibly thoughtful, compassionate listener and advice giver a terrific lay therapist, and despite the fact that I don't think we've ever met in person, not once, an invaluable friend. 
What you're about to hear is not a typical commonplace episode. I'm not interviewing David. He's not interviewing me. We're talking as fellow podcasters and literary friends about why I haven't released a new episode of Commonplace for months, why I fell off the face of the earth and podcast airways. This conversation is also a precursor or a kind of long intro or background to the upcoming Commonplace episode featuring McKenna Goodman, author of the novel The Shame, a book I'm wildly excited about. This conversation is personal, very personal, because talking about commonplace also means for me talking about parallel knotty thickets in my personal family life, specifically my divorce, as well as my feelings about the pandemic, the recent presidential election, and social justice. David and I spoke for almost two hours. Commonplace currently has no sound editor, and I asked Doreen Wang, who runs Commonplace's social media and who co-produces almost all the shows, if she would give sound editing a go. Even though she hasn't done sound editing for Commonplace, Doreen is working on a Mandarin-language podcast called Conversations with My Mother Before She Dies. Of that podcast, Doreen says, When my mother got diagnosed with end-stage cancer, I knew there were things we needed to say to each other. As an immigrant child, I'm grateful to be collaborating with my mother on a project using her mother tongue for the first time. I'll let you know when Conversations with My Mother Before She Dies airs. I look forward to that, even though I don't speak Mandarin. Doreen's initial response to the two-hour tape of David Naiman and me that I sent her was this. You were right to ask David to talk with you. Your instincts are good. I trust them. This episode convinced me to love David Naiman, who comes across as such a gentle, wise, and generous soul. About you, Rachel, well, I have less distance to this subject, but I think she comes across as brilliant, funny, endearing, and, yes, neurotic. Many moments where I alternate between thinking, oh, Rachel, I love you, and for her own and commonplace's sake, I cannot let her anxious talking to abate the fear of loneliness and non-existence overrun this episode. We just need to make sure the episode does not come across as a self-indulgent fountain of anxiety, mostly because I think our listeners are probably already anxious enough this year. Doreen did a fabulous job getting this conversation down to just under an hour and managing the fountain of my anxious talking. She cut most of David and my conversation about the specifics of the pandemic, about Trump and social justice. Not because she doesn't care about those things, but in order to throw a towel over the geyser of anxiety. Don't worry, my neuroses still shine through, as does David's generosity. I wondered, cringing sometimes as I listened to Doreen's edit, whether this conversation is now less anxious but more self-indulgent, because it's more clearly about my divorce. I won't try to answer this self-posed question, but will say that editing is one of the questions that comes up for me and David, a question I'm sure will come up again and again. 
David and I talk about editing, transparency, vulnerability, leadership, collaboration, loneliness, fear, regret, buying a car, heterosexuality, female friendship, and so much more. Dear future unknown but not unimagined listener, today is December 7th, 2020. I'm recording this in Scarborough, Maine. It's 3.30 p.m. and the sun is going to set very soon. Without starting up the anxiety fountain, I think it's a vast understatement to say that these are difficult days. Every person I know has been hit hard by this pandemic and by the COVID-caused or COVID-adjacent uncertainty, fear, growing structural inequality and injustice. My loneliness and most frightening moments come when I cannot see beyond these bleak days to something brighter. I know I'm not alone in sometimes feeling this way. And when all else fails, I take solace in that interconnectedness, in the importance of talking and listening our way through this global trauma, one grief, one story, one person, one relationship, one friendship, one book, one poem, one conversation at a time. I'm so glad to be able to share this conversation with you before we head into 2021, barring more unforeseen disaster, Commonplace will air the McKenna Goodman episode before the end of 2020. After that, I aim to edit and release two other already recorded conversations, one with poet Nate Marshall about his new book, Finna, and one with health journalist Jennifer Block about her recent book, Everything Below the Waste, Why Healthcare Needs a Feminist Revolution. I want commonplace with small or large changes to continue. I'm hoping with your continued support and encouragement, it can and will. I have immense gratitude for all who have been so patient, who have stuck with the show. Most of you have continued to support the show financially as patrons, and many of you have reached out to me with words of encouragement. I promise to update you all once I myself know more about the specifics of how Commonplace will change and what our new schedule will be. In the meantime, I send you my love, my gratitude, my last dregs of flickering optimism as the days here grow shorter and as we turn together toward a new year and hopefully new ways of being, being safe being connected, being just, being kind. Um, how does this, how does, what does this prompt in you in terms of thoughts? Um, me sort of recapping our, our uh, talk months ago. I mean, it's really helpful to hear you talk about it. Um, I mean, first of all, uh, <laughs> it's emotion. It's very emotional for me. Um, in part because I feel like you were really listening and um, that's, I knew at the time, and I think I even expressed to you that I knew that there was a deep connection between my feelings about commonplace and my feelings about my marriage. 
um, which at the time I spoke to you, I knew that my marriage was over, but I hadn't told my children. And I think, and you know, because uh, my whole family was quarantining together and it was very unclear when we were ever gonna be out of that situation, um, I thought at the time that I had like all this clarity, like it's over. And it's not that I've wavered, but um, I've it. It's been so many stages of oh, now it's over. Now it's over. Now it's over. But to to come back, and I'm probably not done yet. But to come back to these connections, like I mean, I think I still thought that if I could fix commonplace, not that it would fix my marriage, but that the divorce would be easier for me that 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 you know i i knew that commonplace was um fulfilling uh it, that was was providing me with a kind of community and companionship and focus and a feeling of engagement with other people um that i wasn't having um with josh and that that was, and then I felt very lonely in my life and that commonplace, um, even, even the kind of reading I was doing to prepare for those conversations felt uh, like a form of community and companionship. And the problem with commonplace was that at the same time that it was providing me with that, I was in charge of the show and I felt very alone in the responsibility for the show and um, the responsibility of because I had, you know, for a while, as many as four people who were working on the show with me, then three, then two, these questions about how much to pay people, how to run a small organization, whether to apply for grants, whether to redesign the logos, whether to, you know, like what was the mission statement, how to communicate interpersonally um, with, with the people who were collaborating with me. Um, you know, it was, it, it, it was starting to feel like more and more and more responsibility and much more like how I felt as, a, as the mom of three kids. Um, I wasn't collaborating with Josh on the raising of these kids. And and it, as much as I wanted to, I didn't feel supported. I felt very alone in that. Um, but I felt alone with him. And I felt alone with the, the people I was collaborating with on Commonplace. And so, um, you know, it, 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 I, I wanted, like, we talked a little bit about, like, my desire to have a co-host um, but like, what would that look like? Who would that be? And I knew then, and it's even more clear now, like I was looking for a kind of podcast husband, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, oh, but, you know, and I think for a lot of different reasons, first of all, I just was so, and I'm still so overwhelmed and I just didn't want, you know, I, I don't want to be the only adult. That's what I just keep, that phrase keeps coming mm. back to me. Um, and I feel, you know, the other things I do in my life, teaching feels a lot like that. Um, you know, I, ha I, it's just everything. There was no part of my life where I could just like 
be taken care of or really felt like someone had my back or, you know, um, unless, you know, I had to delegate really carefully and thoughtfully and considerately to get any support or help um, on commonplace or in parenting or in teaching, you know, and, and so I, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't like self-destructive, like, ah, let me take this one good thing in my life and like throw it in the trash. So I feel even shittier, but it was like, I could feel that commonplace was moving from this, this beautiful companionship to this like child, this Mm -hmm. difficult child of mine that I, felt responsible for, but not in control of. And, you know, constantly asking myself, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? What if I fuck up? What if I hurt, you know, the, the guest? What if I don't do it right? And I was, I was also just so overwhelmed um, with the divorce and the pandemic and my kids and that I was starting to make mistakes, you know, maybe small mistakes, you know, not sending the guest the link, you know, when the episode first came up or, you know, and, and I also, I, I don't know, it, it, this is a, not really a small thing, but I put out these three episodes that were like these COVID roll call episodes, which I loved making and I think were were very healing for me because it it required me in quotes to like reach out to you know every single guest that had been on commonplace but I ended up doing you know more editing and a different kind of editing and a different kind of curating and it was a really really highly produced show that took hours and hours and hours of time um and I, I couldn't sustain that. I couldn't sustain that on my own. You know, everything was falling apart. I didn't really want to go back to how things were before. So yeah, I, 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 hearing you talk about it and realizing how many months it's been, I mean, I, I'm trying not to feel like a failure. Um, but how, I mean, <laughs> I, my whole life is like I keep I I keep thinking, you know, and this is so pathetic. It like how did I get here? How did I get here? Like how did what choices did I make to lead me to this place in terms of the podcast, my marriage, my family? You know, like obviously I didn't choose the pandemic. Not all right. these things are in my control. Well, what's what seems absurd there's an absurdity of access to me about life right now like you could be in this situation i think in normal times just and i I put just in in quotes just because of your divorce or just because of of um some of the issues you've had at your job um or just because of the pandemic um and not having these other things going on and the way they're all sort of doubling and tripling this dynamic of of isolation and reconsideration I mean, we're not even talking about the fact that we're on year four of the of the trump administration and the questions around whether there was going to be a transfer of power um which of course is the atmosphere for for everything also um and it's interesting i guess 
I guess what I wanted to reflect back, I, I think it's really interesting this this way in which commonplace is at the same time uh, the opposite and a counterbalance to what you were feeling in your relationship and then maybe unnervingly moving on a trajectory that feels the same as what was going on with your relationship. So in a way you wanted to have a divorce and then a, a, a new partner, literally a new yep. partner with commonplace. I don't know. I love the fact, I know you haven't re completely read, redreamt the show, but that today's episode is, um, other people. So it's poets and other people, right? Is that the, the title? And we rarely yes. get other people. And today is we're getting a novelist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we, I mean, and talk about, so I was looking at, I haven't read this, this novel, but looking at Alexander Chi's uh, blurb about it. Uh, part of its pleasure is the construction is in the construction, the recursive loops through the mind of a woman who is breaking down from not making the art she absolutely must make. Most importantly, this is a novel about how you can feel driven to take risks that don't matter in order to avoid taking the risks that do matter. And and it seems to me like, I love the recursiveness of this blurb because it feels like it's blurbing you and your situation and it's blurbing the book. And that feels so like Rachel, Rachel Zuckerian to me. <laughs> and, and, um, that you are, I mean, here you are taking the risk, right? The risk that matters now. You've you've taken a uh, leap into the void in your life, and all you're experiencing is that right now are the destabilizing downsides. And I'm just, I, I guess I have a faith that I think part of the ladder out of the hole is going to be um, the responses that you get to the episodes when they come out. Today's episode, your first foray into remote since the pandemic um how did that feel not around the questions of editing it afterwards but mm-hmm. how how did that feel for you i mean one thing that's interesting is that i kept trying to meet with mckenna in person um so she lives in in uh vermont on like near near new hampshire and i'm in maine and it it was just not convenient and it wasn't safe. And I, I just like couldn't accept this for several weeks. So I, I kept putting it off and putting it off, even though I really wanted to talk to her. So I had that problem. And then I had the divorce problem. Um, but then I like came out on Twitter with my divorce news after obviously talking to my children and my family and stuff. Um, and uh, so I like kind of had no excuse anymore. And, and then we set a date and I reread the novel and I started watching some videos, um, uh, interviews with her and, and listening to some interviews. And, and it, it, it was a great person to start with because since this is her first novel, there wasn't a ton of stuff and I could really kind of like get into everything there was like, thank God you hadn't already talked to her. <laughs> and I had listened to, you know, uh, between the covers and been like, Oh God, David asked all the good questions already. You know, like, um, I'm not saying nobody asked McKenna any good questions, but there was plenty of room for me to be like, why isn't anyone asking her this? Um, yeah. You know, and that and that feeling 
of, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but the feeling of um, just really connecting to someone um, to, 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 to discovering things about them, um, to being, I mean, I think I just love people and I, and I love knowing about who someone is and how they think and how they speak and like what they're like how they use language. And I think I like a little bit fall in love with everybody that's on the show. And, um, and so I definitely had that feeling with McKenna and, you know, but also she's younger than I am and she's beautiful and she's this, she's a novelist, which, you know, I've always wanted to write a novel or, you know, um, like not be a poet. Um, but her sensibility is so much that of a poet, um, or of the writers that I really know and admire. So it was like deeply pleasurable, deeply exciting, um, a little bit scary. Um, and then when I was on the phone with her, um, you know, when we were recording, it was really that sort of scary, magical, adrenaline-filled connection, um, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and also just like, like she, she was, uh, I, I think I read beforehand and then in addition, she said to me that she was getting really into the films of Agnes Varda. And I, you know, tons of people had been like, oh, you should get, you know, you should watch. And I'd never seen an Agnes Varda film. And so we started to have all of these, you know, kind of connections. So I like the, the you know, the, the, the day after I, I recorded with her, I watched my first Agnes Varda film. And I imagined this whole, you know, relationship with McKenna, like stretching out forever where we would collaborate <laughs> on a book together and we would, yeah. we, or a project and we would watch all of the Agnes Varda films. And we would, you know, it really is like a, yeah. I mean, I don't feel this way with everyone, but there was a real, um, a real connection. Um, that's then, what I've, that's what I've felt with remote. I've been surprised with remote in a strange way. Like there have been some of the most memorable connections that I've had have been remote. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but then I somehow, I don't like when it feels like a one night stand. Maybe that's revealing a lot about myself. Yeah. Like I, it's not that I'm opposed to that, but I, I, the guilt of, which, uh, McKenna wasn't like, why isn't Rachel responding to my emails now? Ah, she, you know, I gave her my soul for two hours and then she dropped me. Of course not. Um, but there was something like I was not able to maintain my connection with her given all the other things in my life. Um, and I feel so much like I let her down by not putting the show out in a timely manner and now her book's been out for a while and she was so generous with me and I like I just like really want to be her friend yeah. um I so the 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 
the not being in person thing was not a problem. Um, I mean, it wasn't the same. Um, and I missed the moment where we turn the mics off and we're sort of sitting there looking at each other, or sometimes I've gone out to lunch, you know, or dinner with the person afterwards. Um, um, although there's a real drawback to that too, because sometimes I'm like, oh shit, this conversation is so much better than the one that we just recorded. And, <laughs> you know, you need to have a secret mic. Yeah. That'll be the bonus, but, the bonus know, dinner right? conversation for, for the, the Supreme patron level. Well, that's another issue that's at play here, which is, I do think that I'm learning the hard way, how to give up being a maximalist. Because I think that this is part of like the timing thing. Like I, I, I just feel like unless I can tell the listener every single part of how I met McKenna and then I did the intro, but then I had to do another one and how it intersected with the election for me and how it like, it's like, I feel like I can't, put it out at all and how I tolerated even editing it before is I, I don't know but it but it's like I'm stuck but it's like I it's like I haven't I, I did edit before um and part of this conversation with McKenna is so boring it's my fault I, it's so boring it needs to be edited out I've we've covered this territory you know about motherhood in particular on other episodes and I'm talking about myself and who cares in, in ways that are just not interesting. They're not new. They don't need to be in the episode. But it's it's like somehow I feel like presenting an edited self to the listener, presenting an edited guest to the listener. It's like maybe I don't trust myself that I like, it's like, if I give you every single thing unedited, well, then it's up to you to decide who said what. Um, is, I mean, I think this comes back to the same fucking questions over and over again. It's like, I don't want the responsibility of compositional choices and like representing other people yeah, or myself or certainly my kid's dad. But I don't know how to, I don't know how to be I don't know how I don't know how to be in conversation with anyone, even with this distant imaginary future listener, without saying what's happening to me right now and then feeling shame about it. Yeah. <laughs> I have moments where I can kind of climb out of my own like self-sabotaging shame and despair and realize like this divorce is fucking fascinating and I am not the first person to get divorced I know that but I you know this is how I this is how I felt when I had kids I was like I am certainly not the per first person to have a child everyone was born um why is there's nothing that describes how I feel about this. And I mean, why is there nothing that describes the, like this fragmentation of self is so 
profound and 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 painful like beyond 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 painful different different than the loss of of a loved one through death i mean the tra- the the transformation of the beloved to a stranger to adversary to uh and and then when you have children to someone that you know you have to trust no matter what that you have to um you're bound in a way that it's like a greek myth it's like what you know you're you're not you're the same way but very differently that i feel bound to my children forever i am bound to josh and i know that it is of great value to talk about that and to hear about it and whether or not someone else is having that experience or not um you know whether i come across as a cautionary tale or, or you know somebody to uh you know identify with connecting childbirth and divorce which i don't think most people would on the surface connect like i love what you've said in your work around childbirth and i i can't re i can't reiterate it accurately so my apology but when i think about it i think about the shattering of self and the putting back together of a self that can't be put back together the same way or and i don't even know if you've mentioned this but how like uh, ch- children will leave cellular components within the mother's body that mm-hmm. um, change the physiology of the body of the mother post-birth. So there's a way in which the life of the children is literally somaticized in the body of the mother post-birth. Um, but this this sense of, I mean, we always think of divorce as, uh, as shattering, but to think of that shattering of being a birth um, the fragmentary, like there is going to be a new self. There is going, mm-hmm. there is going to be an immense amount of pain and then, um, loss, loss of sleep and post divorce depression, like post partum depression, and then something else. Um, and, 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 did that self just it's similar to childbirth when does the when does life begin right like did did i get divorced because i already had sensed a new self that needed to be born or is the divorce the birth like where or is or can or 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 you know and and also this this real sense that there is no way to go through this experience that's not totally fucking determined and infected and contaminated by patriarchy. So all the language around divorce, all of the images of divorce, it's just like birth. It's just, it's, it's just like marriage. It's just, you know, like, and, and, and I'm, and I have my own like internalized misogyny. Like I just, I, I just, uh, you know, I just spent the past many, many weeks 
really supporting my son into finally getting his driver's license and, um, and, and, and buying a car. And um, I have never, I have never bought a car before. And my level of rage over having had to be the one to, I was very clear that it was not part of my marital contract that I wanted to teach the kids to drive. And that's what ended up happening. I had to teach him to drive and I had to buy the car and I had to get the insurance and I had to do all of these things, uh, look out for the pink tax, you know, all this stuff. Um, and I consider myself a very strong, you know, person, uh, woman. And I was really shocked at, at my level of uh, self-pity over this, which is really disgusting. Like, oh, oh, so, oh, it was so hard for you to teach your son to drive a car and buy <laughs> But I think it comes down to this really fundamental question that I am really interested in about, you know, do I need a husband? And by husband, I don't actually mean a husband. I mean, wh- what even is a husband? Yeah. Is a husband someone you're you're married to is a husband, the person in your life, like my best friend, Joan, she is my husband now. And so like, when I was in the car dealership, so much research and so much negotiations later, it was the last moment they sat me down, they they gave me a woman, it was so sneaky of them. And she tried to get me to buy this like extended warranty with the something that was going to protect the paint. And it was like thousands of dollars. And I was like, it was like the price of a car. And I was like, what I, what I, I didn't, I didn't. and, And then she said, oh, well, these are the things I think you really need. And then she tried to get me to buy something else that was still thousands of dollars, but like half the price. And I said to her, I need to text my husband and ask him. And I've, I texted Joan, um, who happens to know a lot about cars. Um, and uh, I said, she's trying, and I took a snap, a, a screenshot and I sent it to her and she wrote back, no, 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 no. Do not buy anything other than the car. Absolutely not. And I, 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 I looked up at the woman and I said, my husband says, and literally before I said, my husband says no. She put the she put the whole thing away. She she was done. She wow. knew she was not going to be able to sell this to me if my husband had said don't buy it. And so the the question is so complicated on so many yeah. levels. Like like it's because it's not about a car. It's not about a husband. It is about heterosexuality. It is about you know uh, being a woman. It is about what does it mean to come to terms with the ways in which I want to be taken care of by men? What does it mean to come to terms with like the the thing that I cut out of the McKenna Goodman episode um, was I had this technical problem and I said to to McKenna, oh, David Naiman would be so embarrassed because I'm not you know, uh, doing this right. And, and then I said, no, he wouldn't. (laughs) And I'm like talking out loud. And I say to McKenna, you know, that book men explain things to me. And, uh, she's like, yeah. And I said, they're going to take my feminism card away, but all I want in the world sometimes is a man to explain things to me. Mm. That's, that's just, 
there's nothing as good as that. And she's laughing and I'm laughing. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck am I talking about? Like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, you know, but anyway, this was all an aside to say, yeah, but what do I do? Tell me what to do. Yeah. Explain things to me. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> so, and it's funny that I said, can you ask me questions? Yeah. And now I'm saying to you, oh, just tell me what to do. Tell you what to do. <laughs> well, first I have to say I love Joan as your husband. So please, <laughs> please keep Joan as your husband. As depressing <laughs> as that anecdote is, it's also inspiring that, that Joan is, is the unseen husband in this case. And um, wait, let me just say one other thing about that, which is I did not understand female friendship until recently. I yeah. mean, I've had really, really close um, female friends. Um, and I know that I've been sustained by those by those relationships, you know, certainly since being a mom in ways that I never felt men had access to. Yeah. Um, but this is a new thing. Like I, I don't, I have relied on my four or five closest female friends. I mean, they have stepped up. They, they, it's, it's very clear that they can see that I am not okay. Um, and that I, I, and I've even said like, I need, I need you to keep telling me that there is something good that's going to happen to me, you know, in, in my life, like, you know, that, 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 that I'm going to come through this even for like one year of happiness before like I get hit by a truck or something. Cause otherwise this just isn't worth it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they, and, and, and I, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there are, I know that it's not self-indulgent to think about or talk about it's not it's not only self-indulgent to think and talk about the pain of my particular divorce which is probably differently and less painful than other people's divorces um you know just like talking about my hysterectomy just like talking about menopause just like talking about all this shit like I want to talk on the podcast about like what the fuck it's like to go on Tinder at age 49 after, you know, being in a monogamous relationship, you know, for 26 years. Yeah. Um, I want you to like, go on the podcast and talk about that too. <laughs> but, ca but am I allowed to do that? Well, that's I so mean, funny that you ask because... Because, okay, so you asked, one of the things you asked or you said in your email to me was, I don't know who my audience is anymore, but yeah. your audience, that's where you're in a good position. You're not Terry Gross who now wants to talk about going on Tinder all of a sudden on Fresh Air, which would, uh, might be a welcome thing for some listeners of Terry Gross and for other is, but is going to alienate a, an entire segment of her, of her audience who expects her to feign sort of the objective blank slate of, right. of the psychoanalyst or, or whatever the interviewer who you don't learn about. Um, you, you've established a, a mode of being in your show 
that is a similar mode of being in your poetry and prose where life is moving between those sectors. Um, life is your life in your, as represented in your art, as represented on the podcast, literally your husband and children have been on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they are in your art. They are represented in your, your family is, and the developments within your family are in your art. They're in your show. People are drawn to your show because of this. They already, you already have an audience with a built-in expectation for this, both your readers and your listeners. That um, I'm not sure that question of am I allowed to is a, an alive question with regards to your audience and maybe around you if you have questions about your children um, and speaking about the divorce or if there are legal aspects to your divorce where it could compromise something. But those are similar naughty, naughty, K-N-O-T-T-Y, not naughty. (laughs) (laughs) These are similar naughty questions that you had already around your mother and other aspects um, around your kids being in your work. Um, I don't know that they're new questions. No, they're they're not. Yeah. But okay. So here's one other question that's, that's related to this, but you might, I'm very nervous to ask you and you can just say that too far. You went too far. Um, I don't know anything about your wife. I, I, what I want to ask if you can answer it is to what extent do you feel your marriage, and if it's not your marriage, is it something else and what is it, helps you survive and tolerate those cringeworthy moments and, 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 and so that you, or, or do you, are you able to give that to yourself? Like, I feel there's a part of me that, that thinks like, maybe I'm just not strong enough to make this podcast right now when I don't have someone at the end of the day who will hold me or say, you are a decent person. Yeah. You, I, I'm with you. You are not alone because your kids cannot do that. And, and, and I, like, I, I'm, I'm, I really, to be vulnerable in your writing or in public, you know, um, does it require having a special person who you come back to who says you are good? Or is that a fantasy of what marriage is supposed to be and nobody has that? I'm happy to answer that. On the one hand, I feel like maybe I'm a slow learner or I learn that I've done something in a way that embarrasses me many years later that off that like I'll look back at an episode from five years ago and remember it and sort of cringe in myself, but it's not to the level where I'm needing to seek out my partner to comfort me. Um, but I, but I can think of instances with Lucy where, you know, let's say I got a, uh, 
maybe not a hate email, but an email that was frustrated with the way that I do things in a way that uh, was mainly, if not entirely critical and was unnerving. Um, Or maybe, uh, I mean, I feel like that's what we, we share shows that are very um, influenced by our personalities. Um, And so it's inevitable that there's going to be people who just do not like the way we do things. Um, Of course, there's going to be people who don't like it when somebody's acting like a neutral, quote unquote, neutral news reporter too, but those are sort of like the standard defaults. So it feels like people expect like radio a certain way. Um, And I will, I will go to my partner for that, for, for like having reflected back to me, um, that's crazy or, but I also like my response to something like that is like, you know, that guest that you wanted to hear talk to in a different way has been on many other shows and here are some of them. Like, you know, like there's a way in which I feel like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm open to feedback, <laughs> but, um, so I don't know if that really answers, I don't know if that really answers your question about whether you can do that or not. But I wonder also when I'm thinking about, sometimes I feel like I'm doing shows that I'm more comfortably within my sphere of, of knowledge or familiarity and other shows where I'm I've extended myself out um, into new places that are unfamiliar to me. Um, that maybe if you're feeling the vulnerability around um, not having that person, that having conversations like the one I would imagine with McKenna, I don't know if that's true, where you're it, it's really closer to the core of what you're living. Um that maybe you would, the likelihood of you feeling uh, retrospective shame about how you executed the, the, the interview um, would be lower. Mm. I don't know. I think your answer is super interesting because I think I'm realizing that I wasn't, I think there's a lot of like, uh, codependency in my question, you know, or inherent in it. And I think that really, um, and this is part of what I'm discovering in getting divorced, um, is, and, you know, I'm sorry that I keep talking about my therapist, but my therapist is clearly like, though, I mean, I literally, I'm so socially isolated. I have not seen another adult, you know, socially. I, I it feels like for years. Mm-hmm. I just I it's and it's it's getting to me <laughs> in a big way. Um so yeah, my therapist is uh, uh very present. Um even though I haven't seen her in person, obviously, but, um, you know, she, she talks a lot about like when I get into this kind of question about like, 
but am I okay? And how will I know if I'm good? And, and, and what, it, you know, how do I even know I'm real? And how is, you know, how do, how do people live like this? Like, how do they, how do they, how do they just like, you know, you know, without a, without a witness, without a, without another adult to, at the end of the day to say like, God, the kids, that's crazy what they said. Or, you know, oh, this is like, what a beautiful thing that, you know, our son has this girlfriend and she's so wonderful. And like, with, it's almost like if you don't have somebody to talk to, is it really happening? Do I even exist in the world? And, and she's like, that is your childhood. That's your childhood shit. You know, it has to do with mirroring. It has to do with having parents who were not really, um, who were distracted, who were, you know, involved in their own development, who, you know, were not abusive, but were, were not like you were alone. Um, and you weren't getting the kind of like, confirmation that you needed as a kid and she's like you you have to stay in your adult self um you know every time you go to that like really terrorized place um it's it's about being a kid um and so because you were answering it about the show you were answering it about like and i i was really asking how do you even get up in the morning? <laughs> like, 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 and that's, <laughs> and I'm putting it on the show. Yeah. So that's what's helpful that your answer helped me realize. Yeah. <laughs> that's some old shit. Since I was really little, I have expected things to go wrong. And in the past few years, they have. Um, a lot of things in my life have been really, really difficult. And I think that I expect to make a mistake on the podcast and be brought down somehow, be, you know, be exposed as, you know, thoughtless, careless, inconsiderate, racist, sexist, you know, ableist, um, you know, uh, uh, and I, and I guess I feel, you know, I was worried about what it would be like if I got really sick, like who would take care of me? And that happened. I was worried about, you know, what if something really bad happened to my kids and that happened. And, um, I'm not saying that I didn't have some support from Josh, but, you know, clearly I am getting divorced and don't, you know, didn't, it wasn't the companionship and support that I really wanted um, and that I envisioned um, and that I feel capable of providing um, for somebody else. And so I get, I, I think, I, I think that I'm, I'm scared that the podcast will blow up in my face in a way that I will then think like, 
why was I so stupid to keep making the podcast at a moment when I was very distracted and, you know, not fully, you know, I mean, I really feel somewhat cognitively um, impaired lately, I think from stress and from depression and from loneliness. And, you know, so I know I'm not a hundred percent, which, you know, again, that's, I, I also feel a lot of uh, uh, understanding from people um, around that, but you know, so I, I'm afraid of that happening, and I'm afraid of thinking to myself, like, why did I put this pressure on myself, and and why did I think it was going to be okay? Um, you know, like this would be a really bad time for me to take a lot of different risks. There, are, I shouldn't be, like, I'm I, I'm just barely hanging on, and I need to be careful, and I need to like not put myself in a position where, you know, I'm not going to be able to handle it. So I think that's been part of what's been stopping me from, you know, um, going back without a partner, either a partner on the show or a partner off the show um, that, that, that I feel like is gonna, you know, love me no matter what, um, or say like, yeah, you made a mistake, you fucked up, but, you know, but it's not like I'm looking for, you know, a politician's wife who's going to stand next to me and, you know, say I support my horrible rapist husband. Um, in this case, I'm the male rapist politician. I've just realized I put myself in that situation. So I don't know. I'm going around in circles again, obviously. Um, but the, the, so yes, I'm afraid of the risk. And I think that I am, um, unfairly asking you to decide, is this a risk I should take? Because the flip side is I got through all this other stuff and I did, and, and I'm almost done with the divorce. And I, even though it's been excruciating, I'm surviving and it's going to be okay. And my kids are going to be okay. And yes, I almost died and got a, a hysterectomy that I didn't want. And I'm was traumatized by it, but I'm alive and I'm okay and I'm working through it. And so, uh, yeah, I, will, will I be the next, uh, you know, cancel culture victim? Maybe. Well, and also the, the way, if we think of um, none of these episodes being like snapshots of someone embodying perfection, but of, uh, but of, this ongoing um, reflection on self and on others' work and how they relate to you and how you your own thoughts um, move and engage others with other people's thoughts. You Something goes awry in an episode, you can address it in the next episode as you often address things. I think I'm... I'm seeing in ways that I didn't fully appreciate some of the protections that I felt from being married and, and being specifically in a heterosexual marriage um, and um, emotional, financial, um, social, um, and 
So, all righty. <laughs> you know, okay, well, I don't have that, but I have other things. And we'll see what that's like. And, you know, yeah, I have a lot. I have a whole new, uh, I, have a, I have a lot of compassion for my mother, which I did not have before this divorce, mm. which is pretty painful um, to feel in her position. Um, but I also feel a lot of a different kind of understanding, I think, um, or, or empathy or, or, and curiosity for sure about, you know, what it, what it means, how people, um, live full, meaningful, you know, lives in, in, without a partner, without or with multiple partners or ha having lost partners either to death or divorce, which are very different things. So, yeah, I mean, I, there's, there is a world that's like kind of opening up to me um, that I didn't see or feel before. Um, so far it feels pretty bleak, um, but you know, I've, I also have seen, you know, most of my friends are married, almost really, really most of them, um, which is interesting. Um, and there's definitely, uh, <laughs> when for, in the, for the first few months, anywhere, uh, we, Josh and I would go, Josh would tell every person we met stranger that we were getting divorced. It was like a compulsion <laughs> and like on the beach, we'd be walking the dog and we'd meet somebody for the first time and he'd tell them we were getting divorced. And it was really interesting, um, especially men would back away from me, like oh. with, with a kind of fear and disgust. Um, but also couples, it was like we were contagious you know, in, in some kind of way. Um, but all that stuff is just like, it, even if it's painful, it's just fascinating. It's just, it's like, this is the stuff that most interests me, right? Like mm -hmm. how people perceive themselves, perceive others, react to others, like connect, um, protect themselves, like identify, make groups, makes like where, what is solidarity? Like where does solidarity come from? Does it come from shared experience? Does it come from loss? Does it come from, you know, wanting to be an in-group that like shuns the divorced people because something is so terrifying about, you know, and I remember feeling that way. Um, when people get divorced, I, I was like, I don't want to, I don't, I, I didn't want to have a divorced, uh, therapist. I didn't want it. Like, I was like, I, I, I didn't want someone who had made that choice, um, giving me advice, um, or kind of influencing me. Okay. So here's my plan, David. <laughs> All right. Here's my plan. Okay. Somehow we're going to wrap this up where I'm going to send the audio to Doreen. I'm going to say, can we air this? Is this okay? 
why? Why am I going to do that? Why don't I have confidence in myself? I don't know. Okay, so may, I'm either going to do that or I'm not going to do that. Then my intention is to set myself a reasonable but very fast deadline to either edit or not finish editing the McKenna Goodman episode. And then I will air this and I will air the McKenna Goodman episode like three days later. Yeah. And I will, I'll say in the beginning of the McKenna Goodman episode, listen to the other one if you want more contacts. <laughs> All right. And are you going to send me these and, dates? Would that be helpful? Am I going to send you the dates? What do you want? I don't know if it would be helpful for you to send me the dates that these are going to happen. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to post it on Sunday. All right. But maybe I'll post our conversation even before that. There's no way I'm going to. What's going to happen if I don't? (laughs) (laughs) I've missed every deadline I've set for myself. All right. So let's not set deadlines. Promise to cut off my finger. Yeah. Like what's going to happen? I think that sounds good. Okay, cut off your finger and send it to Joan, your your husband. <laughs> Does <Okay>. that sound? <laughs> Let's not overthink that. Like, Let's not overthink okay, that. Okay. Um, I'm just like scared to get off. I'm scared to finish and and then be alone with my doubts and 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 bad self talk. Don't just don't just don't just. Well, I feel like near the end when I thought I was telling when you said I've gone off on a tangent where I felt like we were at the center. And I feel Uh like that's. There's a lot swirling around the center, but the center feels very important and quiet. And I've, I've and I feel like you choosing. McKenna. Whose book is speaking to so much of what you're talking about. And also is in a different genre. So it's both familiar and vital and close to you. And yet also a way the show is being different than itself feels like a great instinctual move. Okay. All right. You are a really, really good friend. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so glad. I hope I fulfilled Thank whatever you. whatever imagined role you had for me. I don't know if I fulfilled yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. You were, you, were, you were my podcast husband for the day. I, I hope it's okay with you. Listening to Aunt Deanna, track one from Nathaniel Wokstein's 2019 EP, A Sweet for Old Age. You can find this song and much more on Spotify and Apple Music by searching Just Nathaniel. Nathaniel also has a new EP coming out soon, so be sure to follow him on Spotify and Instagram for updates. Many thanks to Nathaniel for sharing his music with us to Doreen Wang for lovingly, efficiently editing this episode, and of course, to David Naiman. I'm Rachel Zucker. This has been Commonplace. 
take care, and thank you for listening.